Welcome to the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Join me for conversations about how to advocate for our kids in a one-size-fits-all world. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Mothers of Misfits. I'm really excited to introduce you to our guest, Shelly Kino, today. She is a mom, a former special education teacher, a wife, and now an education consultant and master IEP coach. She helps families, teachers, and school districts make the world better for all, which I love, one IEP at a time. And don't worry if you have no idea what those letters mean, we're going to address that first thing. She's also the author of Those Who Can't Teach. Uh, and I have to tell all of you that Shelly is a saint because we have actually gone through just a tremendous amount of tech problems before this, and um, she has just been smiling through it. So Shelly, thank you for coming on, and thank you for putting up with my technical troubles and inabilities. <laughs> oh, Emily, no problems at all. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yes. So we're talking about a subject that matters a lot, hits home to so many families, but let's get the jargon and acronyms out of the way. What is an IEP? Yeah. So in education, probably as in all fields, we use lots of acronyms. This one is the most important one. It stands for Individualized Education Program. Sometimes the P is interchanged with plan. So if you hear somebody say, individualized education plan, it's the same thing. And what it does is drives the specially designed instruction for the student who becomes eligible through an evaluation process that can um, take months, unfortunately. It can be brought about by either the parents or the school district. All of this is driven by the federal education law. And I'm not a lawyer. I just want to say that up front um, because I, I, direct to the law. That's where I get my guidance from. But anything that I say is strictly just my understanding of the law and advice. It's not me practicing the law. And that law is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA. Such a good point. Yes, we uh, are not attorneys, not medical professionals. Of course, we're just here to be helpful. But you will want to consult with the appropriate professionals. Make sure you, that you're checking with the laws in your state or if you're out of the U.S., of course, your your local laws and what's uh, guiding your, your particular school district, because I think even within a state, you can find differences. So that just makes it more complex and nuanced. Right. And- and tough, yes. right? Um, yes. So, and, and something else that I want to point out because my son has a GIEP, so a gifted IEP uh, plan. And I found that some people don't realize that the IEP process and resource can apply to a child who's anywhere outside of that sort of average, for lack of a better word, grouping. So if they have special needs because they might be struggling or they have a disability or they have physical or emotional needs, but it could also be because they're excelling, they need to step out of their their level of classroom and go to a higher level of, of classroom for certain uh, subjects. It, it really is anywhere outside the average and maybe to a higher level or a lower level, whatever that means for your child. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an excellent point because so often people do not associate gifted with special education. It is covered under mm-hmm. the law. It's not a technical eligibility, uh, mm-hmm. but it is 
within the special education law, because again, it goes back to that specially designed instruction. So as you said, if a student needs something outside of the general population, then the IEP might be the appropriate document for them. So if I'm a parent and I'm thinking, I think my child needs something specific. I think they need something outside of the general population. Where do we start? So how you would kind of know that is, um, you know, if you're talking to your child's teacher and you're like, hey, you know, there's this issue and and it's a once and done or maybe it's a, okay, we did it this year and oh, now it's mid-year the following year and I need to go talk to the teacher. You probably don't need to be concerned. However, if you're talking to your child's teachers frequently or every year and working in accommodations for your child, teachers are wonderful. I am one. I love my teacher friends still. And so I'm, I'm not going to say that teachers um, are doing anything wrong. We tend to over help, if anything. Um, we, we just automatically accommodate without sometimes even realizing that we're accommodating. And so if you know that too, that your child is getting a lot of support from a particular grade level teacher or a particular subject teacher, you might still want to talk to them about having your child evaluated for special education. Because again, um, I've run across this where if a child is getting a lot of accommodations from one grade level, and that's really helping them be successful and access that general education curriculum, and then they go to the following year and they're not getting those things, then they don't have the same benefits. But if they have that IEP, that would carry from one year to the next year. And so they would go through this whole evaluation process. And how that happens is if you as the parent feel, you know, in your gut, or like I said, you've gone through that talking to the teachers multiple times episodes, then you can request in writing, make sure you do it in writing, that your child be evaluated for special education. And then what happens is the school gets that note and they have to respond to you within, I'm pretty sure it's 10 school days, they have to respond to you as to whether or not they're going to go ahead with the evaluation. If they decide to go ahead with the evaluation, then you will be called in to have a meeting and you'll talk about, okay, what do we know about my son or my daughter? Okay, what do we need to know about this child? And where are we going to get that information? And those are called different things. In some states, they're called ARDs. In some states, they're called domain meetings. Other states, they're called uh, pre-IEP meeting. I mean, there's just a lot of, of different So names. many names, acronyms. It's hard to yes, keep track. It yeah. is. It really is. And I, even myself as a master IEP coach, working with families all across the country, they'll, they'll even teachers, um, you know, will throw out acronyms. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And so if I don't know what it means, having been an educator for all the years that I was, how is a parent who's first coming into this supposed to know what that means? So we have to get better about that, about remembering that people don't know what we're saying when we use all those acronyms. So um, they will call you and you'll have that meeting. And at that meeting is where you will give official permission to go ahead with the evaluation. The evaluation happens. Um, they then have, and again, this is a timeline state uh, decision. In my state in Illinois, they have 60 calendar days. I'm sorry, 60 school days, 60 school days. Um, in other states, it's just 60 calendar days. And they have that amount of time to do all the different evaluations that they need to do. And how they do that is if you're looking at related services, then those professionals would come in and work with your child. You probably won't know 
because it's just how it fits into their schedule when they're going to come in and do that type of evaluation. And then you'll have um, usually a, a pretty formal type of evaluation through a school psychologist or uh, someone like that who can administer certain tests, um, cognitive tests, behavior tests, that kind of thing to determine once all of that information is gathered and done, then you come back together for one more meeting because we love meetings in education. Not really, but that's what yeah. the law says we have to do. So yeah. yeah, everybody's just, you know, trying to do it by the book, which is good. But yes, right. it can it can feel like there are a lot of meetings yes. to discuss what you did, what you're gonna do. But it's right. important to know the process. So I'm so glad you're taking us through us through this so we know what to expect. Okay, so we have this. Once those evaluations have been done, then we have another meeting to do what? Then you talk as a team about all the results of all those evaluations. And then at that meeting, you determine as a team, you as the parent are an equal member of the team. You are the expert in your child. Hold on to that. Accept that. Grow mm -hmm. into it. Do whatever you have to do to really be the expert on your child. Everyone else at the table is an expert in their field, whether that's administration, um, the psychologist, the educator, the related service personnel, whoever that is, they are experts at what they do. You are an expert in the person that they are talking about. Mm, and that I is just, that. I just can't emphasize that enough um, because you're going to be there. You were there before the school got involved. You will be there after the school is involved you're going to have all of that information that they don't have. They have access to it, but I guarantee you, they don't have the time to go back and look through everything. And even if they did, they still aren't going to get it in the exact same way that you, the parent, is going to get it. So then once eligibility is determined, if it's determined that the child is eligible, there's a couple of options. Some states go ahead. In Illinois, we just always would write the IEP. Well, at least in my district, we would write the IEP, if necessary, right at that meeting. Okay. If not, um, there are other other states that they don't have to do it. They have another 60 days. Um, again, those timelines are so sketchy um, to write the actual IEP. And so the way that the IEP is written is, again, it's a legal document and it is formulated by the entire team. And within that is that specially designed instruction. That specially designed instruction is written based upon the present levels of performance. And in that present levels of performance, that talks about all those evaluation results and talks about exactly what your child is able to do currently. There's also something in there that gets overlooked, not given enough attention, and that's your section as the parent. It's called the parent concerns or the parent input or the parental something. It's, it's worded a little bit differently across the country, but basically it's what, what are you concerned about? What are you worried about? I have a whole training that I do on that because it is so important for you again, because you're that expert, you have all the prior knowledge, you know, what your child and you are thinking can happen in the future. And you know, what's happening in the present. You want to have something in that section that says, these are my concerns. Even in the situation like your child with your child being gifted, there are probably social concerns that you have along with that because oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes a child who is gifted has a lot of anxiety and a lot of social um, 
what am I trying to social uh insecurities, concerns insecurities yeah. may not be with their biological peers. I right. know my son is often with kids who are older than him because that's where he is educationally, but that's yeah a concern socially. So excellent point. I, I love that you're encouraging us to think in a well-rounded way as we give our feedback and concerns because we might jump to the educational piece, but it's bigger than that. And I hope every listener takes you up on that course. I, I'm super interested in that because it's, I mean, this whole process, I know as a parent and going through this experience, I felt like just a total newbie because I was. I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose. I had no idea what I was doing. I was trying really hard to get input from other experts to read, to get help. But this is my first time and there's still so much I don't know. I'm learning a tremendous amount from you. Whereas the school system has gone through this hundreds, thousands of times and and they they have a much better understanding of the rules, what's possible, what's not. And so it can feel like it's uneven as you enter this process. Uh, but it's just, I love that you're encouraging us to be that advocate that we are, to be confident into that, be strong in that, and make sure that we're fairly representing our viewpoint because we are an equal at that figurative and literal table. Right. And in some instances, you are your child's only voice because at a certain age, your child is required to be invited. You could invite your child with you at any age. If you think that they are able to understand what's going on and have, um, you know, input and can handle hearing, because unfortunately at these IEP meetings, we are talking about their not perfect parts about them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if they're able to hear that and be okay hearing that um, at any age, they can come. But after 14 and a half, uh, they usually start inviting them by the school district, inviting them. Um, and so, yeah, making sure that you're thinking about, because an IEP's purpose is to provide free, appropriate public education to meet the child's unique needs while preparing them for further education, employment, and independent living. So mm -hmm. it's not just that academic piece. It is the whole child. So you do want to be thinking about those things when you're writing up that parent input statement. And you don't just want to think about the year that you're doing it. You want to think about five years. 10 years, 20, 30 years even. And that's really difficult when you have a kindergarten and a first grader, like, how do we know what they're going to want to do when they're 30 or 20 or, you know, but it's just, it's just getting that started. The parent input, just like the IEP itself is a living document. It's changeable. You can um, change it every year. If you want to change your input every year, which I personally think you should, um, and so, yeah, don't ever think that, oh, I put it down once it's going to be there forever. No, you can change. So, I love that you just brought that up because I want to do some myth busting, but also some uncovering of some rights and um, opportunities like that, that you can change the IEP that are often overlooked, underused, not used to full capacity. I mean, I, I thought for a long time that your annual IEP meeting was it and you get everything in there that you want. Or you have to wait a year, which is not at all true. So can nope. you talk us through some of those misunderstandings that parents often have? Sure, absolutely. So um, after we had gone through that whole sort of initial evaluation process, and you've been determined that your child has whatever they have as their eligibility, at least once a year, and it says it at least once a year, the school district has to call a meeting 
in order to go over it and make sure that all accurate information is in there, that current information is in there. That's the time when you can change goals and objectives for the next year. You can change related service minutes or uh, uh, specially designed instruction minutes. You can go through, through and change pretty much anything in there. Um, they have to do that at least once a year. But if you as the parent are like, ah, something doesn't feel right, or, you know, I think they've already mastered this goal. Why are we going to have the school continue to work on it when they could be working on something else? I want to call a meeting. You absolutely have the right to call a meeting every month. I wouldn't advise it, but you have the right to call more than one meeting. We have to make sure that we're honoring the partnership with the school district. But yes. but yeah, to your point, you have that right. And it, it's just important to know the options that we have. So when we right. feel like, because things change throughout the course of the year, and sometimes how you thought the IEP was going to be implemented might be different or just for to no fault of anyone's. It's just not, it's not, it's not panning out how you wanted it to, but you don't have to wait for that next year meeting. You can call a meeting right now. Right. And sometimes it doesn't require the whole team. So Hmm. the first idea would be to reach out to the special ed teacher or the gen ed teacher and say, hey, you know, um, I thought this was happening or can we change this without having to call the full IEP team? Because there are some things that you can do that are called IEP amendments and you just add that in and then uh, the special ed teacher makes sure that everyone who is on the team gets a copy of it and is aware of the amendment but it wasn't something that had to be decided by the entire team. So you can get some things done without having a full meeting, but if you need to have something discussed and you need everyone at the meeting, everyone on the team at the meeting, you can absolutely call that, excuse me. And every three years, that full evaluation, formal evaluation will happen again, at least, again, at least every three years. If you and the school decide that that needs to happen, after two years, you can ask for that to happen after two years. You don't have to wait for the three, but the law says, and again, not a lawyer, the law says that it has to be done at, at a minimum of every three years. Now, say that evaluation happens by law and the determination is that your child no longer needs an IEP. Could that be revoked without your consent? You do have to prove, so to speak, that the child is still eligible every year. Uh, There has to be a need and it has to be able to be a verifiable need. Um, That's what the law says. That's to protect all kinds of students because uh, and school districts, because unfortunately, you know, there are people who are like, no, my child needs to be in special ed or the school district says, no, this kid, you know, is is slower and so they need to be in special ed and they would just put people in special ed and they didn't really need to be in there. So it is something that has to be proven, but it can't just be taken out from underneath a a family. Um, There would have to be that full evaluation process and then the full team come together and decide as a team that they agree that the child doesn't need services. And that's truly, as a special education teacher, I was always hoping to work myself out of a job because I was always hoping and, and trying to figure out ways to get my students out of the need for special education. Um, <clears throat> there is one eligibility that sort of ends around age nine, and that's called a developmental delay. And so a lot of kids, if they have something early on and they're getting a lot of services and supports, um, the developmental delay is, is exactly that. It's that maybe in a couple of years, 
the development will catch up, so to speak, to the age level and the ability level of the peers of that age. And then they will, I've, I've had multiple students that have that happen to, I was not ever completely worked out of a job, unfortunately, though. <laughs> well, I like your perspective on that because I, as a parent, failed to think about that that often is the goal is to not have to need these special accommodations to get them to a place where um, they're thriving inside of the normal classroom. And I'm, I'm glad to be reminded of that. What about approving the IEP? We're offered the opportunity to do that in that meeting, at the annual meeting. I know we're always slid the paper across the table and sign here. No, no pressure. I've never felt, I mean, there's pressure in that moment. I will say that. Sure. Like there's just a sense of everybody's there. You don't want to be the dissenter. You don't want to be that parent. Um, so there's there's absolutely social pressure. I don't think there's any um, malice or somebody making us do something we wouldn't do. But, you know, the paper's slid across. Here, sign here to approve. Do we have to sign or like, speak now or forever hold your peace, like approve it there or we lose our opportunity or what, like, what's that? Can we think about it? Can we come back with feedback? What's our, what are our rights? Yeah. So as far as that goes, um, you do have, again, it's a state thing a little bit, but the federal law says, you know, you do have time to think about it. Um, and certain states you have to sign to give permission to do anything. Other Mm -hmm. states like in Illinois, where I am, you, um, have 10 days to give that signature. And if you don't give that signature, the IEP is going to go into effect anyway. Then you have other options and avenues to go down to fight what the school has said without your consent, so to speak. Um, but there is always a sign in page, which is everybody at the meeting signs in because that's the school's way of saying, look, we invited the parent and the parent said they were coming and they showed up and here's our proof. That is usually done at the very beginning of the meeting. That signature that you're talking about usually happens around the end after the whole IEP has been written and everyone at the at the table or hopefully everyone at the table are, is on board with what's going on. And then they say, okay, are you good with all of these things? If you are, go ahead and sign it. If you're not, even if you just want to say, I just want 24 hours to just mm-hmm. absorb it all. Because there's a ton of information thrown at a person in these meetings. Mm-hmm. And for that reason, I'm going to talk about bringing people. But yeah, even if it's just for 24 hours, just tell them that. Look, I'd really just like to absorb this and think it over and make sure, you know, that the things that I said are in here um, and the things that we agreed upon are, you know, I just, and, and you have the absolute right to do that. So key takeaway there is don't feel pressured to do something you don't feel comfortable doing. And right. know that you have the right as a parent to just say, I need a moment. I need to reflect because again, this is new to us. It's, we don't do this all day long, every day, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. And the folks sitting across from the table are likely going to say, great, no problem. Let us know when you feel comfortable, but you did allude to bringing guests. So how does that work? I did not know that was possible until a little bit later in my experience. Um, And I also know there's a lot of other people at the table that we didn't invite per se. We're happy to have them there. But how how does all that work and how do you know who's going to be there? So you as a parent should get a notification of conference. Now, again, the law is weird um, and I I love the law, but I hate the law. Um, I hated (laughs) studying the law because it's like, oh, here's a part. But then that is connected to this part that's 300 pages later. And then that's connected to this part over here that's 250 pages sooner. 
Um, and so what the law says is they have to notify you at least once. That's all that they have to notify you. However, if you dig further into the law, it says that they can hold the meeting without you present as long as they have done due diligence to notify you and work with you about attending the meeting. So how I was taught, and that I was actually taught by a due process hearing officer, is you send at least three notifications of conference and you send them differently. So maybe one is by a phone call, one is by sending the note with the child, and one is by an email. Um, okay. So that at least, you know, you're showing, look, I didn't, I didn't send them all home with the student, you know, because that's not really due diligence. That never makes it home. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yes, that's um, the riskiest and, of all. Yeah. Right. And then on that notification, it will tell you exactly who the school is inviting. Now, when I say exactly, it could just be the title of the person, not the actual person's name. Because if they put a name in there and that person doesn't show up, there's a whole other thing that has to happen. Um, so they, sh they have to tell you exactly who they are inviting. And then there's things that you can do if people show up that weren't on that list and people that were on the list don't show up. So there's other steps to that, um, but I know we're, we're time constrained here today. So I, I will have to, you'll have to have me back. <laughs> well, I have to have you back and I hope everybody listening seeks you out and we'll talk about how to do that at, at the, at the end of this conversation. Cause yeah, this is just tip of the iceberg stuff, but I'm learning so much. Okay. But let's just, uh, finish. So on I that. didn't talk about guests. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, so how about us? What, who can we bring? Can we bring people? Yeah, absolutely. You absolutely can bring anyone that you want. The law asks that the person be either knowledgeable in your child or special education, or the, the perfect is if they're knowledgeable in both. Um, mm -hmm. And you do not have to tell the school that you are bringing anyone. And I would absolutely recommend that you, especially to that very first meeting, because you're going to hear things and I mean, all the meetings, there's just so much information mm -hmm. that having a second set of eyes and ears and also somebody who's not as emotionally involved mm -hmm. with the child as you are as the parent, because all the things that are going to be said, I think I mentioned it, we're not talking about the best qualities about your child, unfortunately, because if that was all we were talking about, you know, I mean, maybe in your situation with gifted, it's a little bit different, but the majority of IEPs, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's not, we're not, we're talking about deficits. So, mm. you know, have someone there that can hear and see things that you are also hearing and seeing, but maybe you're not comprehending because your emotions are raised or it's, there's just so much of it. So mm. you can bring myself as an educational advocate, uh, I mean, I can't believe I just said advocate because I don't usually use that word about myself, but educational consultant, master IEP coach, you can bring a family member. You can bring your best friend. Um, you can bring an advocate or a lawyer. I, I don't advise that to that very first meeting because that probably won't set a good tone. <laughs> but yeah, I can do it. you have to do that wisely because you don't want to create uh, an impression right. that you're, you know coming with all the full force of the, right. exactly. uh, you know, kind of picking a fight. That, right. So yeah, there's, that's definitely very delicate because you are looking to have a long-term partnership with those yep. teachers, with that school district. And if you come with an offensive, you know, position, 
yeah, they might want to match you, um, right. you know, and it's a little bit of that dance. And, and so I think I agree with you. That's something to be reserved for when and if you need it. You know, if you're feeling yeah. like you're not being heard or things are not working out or your rights aren't being honored or somehow the process is being abused, that's when it's a good time to engage those folks. And you can engage them privately. In fact, I think that's a great idea. So you can understand what are the laws of the state? What are my rights? I know I'm in Pennsylvania. I know that they have a resource where you can call and ask for help. Um, that's great to, so that you are more confident. But in terms of bringing them to the meeting, whew, that can that can set a tone that we didn't intend to. Right. And and me as as a master IEP coach, what I come to the meetings is to collaborate. I mm. don't. That's how I'm different. That's why I'm surprised. I the word advocate came out of my mouth because typically advocate starts like adversarial and they actually oh. usually are together um school districts and i'm still i st am fighting this as a coach even because i do have the same information as an advocate mm -hmm. but typically the advocate does come in more you know okay we're gonna do this and you're doing all these things wrong blah, 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 blah. but that's not how i come in i come in because mm -hmm. i want to collaborate i want to have an iep that is appropriate not best. The law only requires appropriate, another whole conversation. And so um, making sure that the, the IEP is appropriate for the child, even though the parents hire me, the child is really who my focus is on and who I am trying to get everyone at the table to, to do what is going to help this child reach their fullest potential. And um, I know, or I hope that at some point, you won't feel like you have to have me there, but you just want to have me there. And if you come to the point where you don't even feel like you have to have me or you want to have me, you're still going to be there. And even mm -hmm. if I go to meetings with you annually, you're still dealing with that school district every day or, or weekly or quarterly because your child is there every day. So mm -hmm. I want to make that relationship a positive relationship because you're there. I'm not. I don't want to come in and cause problems for you and then walk out the door and leave you in the wake. I want to come in and make it as collaborative as possible. I'm not saying it's going to be all rainbows and unicorns, but that is sort of my goal. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just get that impression from you and how you carry yourself that you're good at executing on that goal and creating those mutually beneficial relationships and collaborations. And I have learned so much. And again, we could go on and on and on and on. And I'm sure there are so many questions from our listeners, which by the way, if you have questions, just send them out on our Facebook page, on Instagram, email us, submit them on the website. We're happy to um, have Shelly back or uh, whatever we can do to help you answer these questions. We love hearing from you. But Shelly did generously provide an IEP meeting checklist to our listeners. And what we're going to do is provide a direct link for you to get a copy of that in the episode insiders. Those are the newsletters we send out every Tuesday when we publish a new episode. Uh, so just go to mothersofmisfits.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, enter your email address. It's, it's really that fast. And you can be sure to uh, get your hands on that IEP meeting checklist because that, that sounds hugely valuable. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom, Shelly. You have helped so many of us better navigate the IEP process. And I'm sure for those that want some extra help, you'll be hearing from them too. 
I hope so. That that is my goal is to to help everybody, like you said at the beginning, making the world better for all one IEP at a time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Mothers of Misfits podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We also invite you to visit us at mothersofmisfits.com.